Fiction Unpacked, where we discuss the pull of the past every week. I'm your host, Allison Treat. I'm an author of historical fiction and a freelance editor. Welcome to my show. Hey, friends, welcome to episode 19. Um, I kind of think it's cool. Next week will be episode 20, and then I'm going to take a little bit of a break. That will be the end of season one, I guess, because I think we need a break at Christmas time. So, but today I have a conversation with a great author, Star Ayers. Her debut novel, For the Love of Emma, released last week, December 8th. Now, in my when I introduce her, I kind of, I got the wrong date about the release date because originally it was not releasing until January, but the release date was changed. Now, Star's debut novel is based on a true story. Star and her sister found a bunch of letters that were written to her mother. They found them after their mother had passed away. And this launched her into writing this novel about um, a young woman in the Depression era, and the letters that her boyfriend wrote to her. Um, It's just such a fascinating story, how this true story led to this novel that is based on it. It's also one of my very favorite formats for a historical novel that's um, a time slip or split time novel. So I hope you guys enjoy this conversation I had with Star. Star Ayers, I'm so happy to have you on the show today. Thank you, Allison. It's so great to connect with you. Your debut novel, For the Love of Emma, is releasing January 1st. Can you tell us about this book? No. Well, yes, I can. But actually, it's not releasing January 1st. That was the initial release date. But it is now releasing December the 8th. Oh, wow. It's it's moved up. That's exciting. Yeah, That's the print version. And it's actually my birthday. Too. Oh, wow. So, yeah, what a so nice birthday present. I know. I'm so excited about that. But it, it, the print version releases December the 8th, and then the Kindle version releases December the 26th. Okay. So they moved it up a little bit. That's nice. Yeah, it's getting real. <laughs> yeah, that's exciting. Okay, so can you tell me about the novel? Uh, yes, it is um, called For the Love of Emma. And it is a it's a time slip novel. It switches between the contemporary storyline and one that is pre-World War II, Great Depression era, era Mm. 1938, 1939. Um, It's told from three points of view. The contemporary character is Caroline, and she is actually one that finds letters in her uh, in her deceased mother's trunk. And she and her sister Kate set out to find out more about this young man that loved their mother. And that's the contemporary storyline. And then the historical characters are Noah and Emma, Emma being Caroline's mother. And she is a waitress at the Rainbow Restaurant in Fayetteville, North Carolina. And actually, that restaurant is still a very popular venue. And I hope to have a book signing there. Oh, cool. It's a real... A real place. That's great. Yeah. And then um, the other um, character is Noah, her love interest. And he is actually from Jonesville, North Carolina, but he was a soldier there at Fort Bragg and actually met her um, when she was waitressing. And of course, you know, it is 
uh, true to life. It's it's based on um, my mother's story and letters that I found in her trunk. Um, but then again, you know, probably ninety nine point nine percent of it is is fiction. But um, I don't know if you uh, want me to read that. I would like to read the back of the book. But uh, if you want sure. me to read that. Caroline Myers discovers a box of letters in her deceased mother's trunk, and she's captivated by the romance that unfolds between her mother, Emma Rose Walsh, a 19-year-old waitress, and Noah Anderson, a handsome young soldier. Determined to read between the lines, Caroline and her sister Kate set out on a search that leads them to the North Carolina foothills and a padlocked gate at the Anderson Family Cemetery. Will the one who holds the key keep them from unearthing long-buried secrets and fulfilling a request their mother tucked inside the box 64 years earlier? Or will they find closure or encounter a surprising revelation that plunges them deeper into the past? Wow. this It's so intriguing. And what's so, what's so interesting is that it started with you finding letters that your mother left in a trunk. So yes. tell me, tell me about when, when did you find these and how? Well, um, I, I'll, I'll start with the fact that, um, my mother died in 2011 and not long after she died, maybe a, a few years after she died, I found these letters in her trunk. Okay. But before that, uh, I had a friend who invited me to a writer's retreat in the mountains of Phoenix. And I had, I had never really written that much except for a few things for women's ministry events and things like that. And I wasn't really considering being a writer. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wanted to see my friend, you know, in Arizona. And so I went out there. But right before, uh, I went out there, my mother died. And so I didn't even really know if I would be able to attend the event that I did. And it ended up being um, very healing for me. And actually, it just changed the trajectory of my life. Wow. Um, and so, you know, it was like a couple of years after that, that I found these letters. And when I found them, it was like, and I, I was reading them, and I'm, I just knew that there were seeds of, of, of a great book in there. And I was thinking, gee, you know, somebody needs to make this a novel. This is Nicholas Sparks, you know. And, <laughs> and so when I said that, I thought, oh, no, I can't do that, you know. And I had, um, I had begun writing a photo devotional book. Right. And so I pulled out this list of literary agents that I had received at that conference. And I was looking at for one from North Carolina. And the only one on there from North Carolina was Les Stobie. And I had no clue who Les Stobie was. And but I emailed him and I told him this idea that I had for this photo devotional book, because I love to take photos and iPhone photos. And I had this idea And so I told him about it. But if I had known what a giant this man was in the Mm -hmm. Christian publishing industry, I would have been too intimidated to pitch anything to him, much less my not so good idea. And so um, 
he mm. immediately got back with me and but he really was trying to discourage me from and telling me, you know, how hard it was to get something published and how especially something full color, how expensive it was and uh-huh. but you know for for a day or two he kind of kind of ran me through these little hoops and and it had me send him a few things and after a day or two um he signed me as a client. It was just wow. such an amazing God stop in my journey. And he was such a gift to me. And of course he was right. My manuscript <laughs> did not sell. Imagine that he was uh-huh. right. It didn't sell, but having him as an agent opened doors for me to writers conferences, to learn, um, to grow into this call you know, that I knew by now God really had on my life. Hmm. And so I cut my teeth in writing at at these conferences through writing devotions. And I I was really even struggling to get 500 words on a page, much less even think about writing a novel. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until a couple of years later that I found these letters and then, you know, it, it spun me in a whole nother direction. And I was totally outside of my comfort zone. I didn't feel equipped. I knew I wasn't equipped to do it. Um, but I knew that, and, and it took me a couple of years to even convince myself that God was actually calling me to write this novel. Um, right. You know, devotion seems so much more noble, so much more spiritual. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I really didn't understand then the value and the um, the importance of fiction and how fiction can change, you know, a reader's life. Yes. Um, yeah. The, like um, reading clean books that books that have um, Christian principles and values in them can help introduce someone to the Lord in a very um, entertaining and, and unthreatening way. And so, I, I grew to appreciate that, you know, as I as I went through this learning process. Right. Yeah. And then uh, it was in uh, 2016. So it was a few years after that I, I was writing it. I went to this novelist retreat. I was beginning to write my novel and I went to this novelist retreat here in North Carolina and I ended up in a brainstorming session with Kyle Young, who was just beginning his career as an agent. Mm -hmm. And he, I didn't know that then. And he loved my story. And so he approached me and asked me and told me he would like to have it, you know. Um, And I told him, I said, you know, I'm just starting to write it. I don't even know how long it's going to be. But he loved it so much. He said, I'll wait for it. And neither one of us knew (laughs) how long we were going to have to wait. Um, But anyway, it's um, it has been like I say, I didn't pursue writing. Writing pursued me. And um, it's just it's just been uh, such an amazing journey. I've just enjoyed every bit of it. Ah, That's wonderful. So I'm just curious, you had, you said Les Stoby was your agent, and then um, is it just because you switched to fiction that you just, you signed with Kyle after that, or? 
Well, yes, he was my agent for quite a few years. And then I really didn't, my photo devotional book wasn't going anywhere. And, um, but he said he would keep me on. And so he kept me on for a couple of years, but then I kind of felt bad later. I thought I'm not doing anything, you -hmm. know? And so I just wrote him and I said, you know, I I really don't have anything that I, I feel that we can market right now. And, you know, so we just kind of cut the cord and he was really, really nice. And he said, you know, I didn't have to wait six months or anything like that, but he, he was just such a help and still, you know, he's, he's still involved in people's lives and, and is helping so many authors along the way. He's, he's just a really gentle giant who I just owe a lot to. Mm. And so, so then, you know, when I came time, when I was starting to write this novel, I didn't really have an agent. And um, so, yeah, picked up Kyle. So, wow, that's great. Um, So tell me about kind of the timeline, like you found this, these letters in what, where did you find them? Did you say that? Yes. After my mother died in 2011. Um, it was a couple of years later because we actually rented out her condo after that and had the trunk in the basement of that condo in a kind mm. of tucked away in a corner. Yeah. And after that renter, we were in between renters and I went down in the basement and started going through that trunk and pulled out this, um, it looked like a, it wasn't, it was vinyl, but it looked like this leather box and. I opened it up and was just amazed that there were like 79 letters um, from this young soldier that uh, he had written to her in like 13 months. And they were actually planning to get married. And, you know, my sister and I knew nothing about this. And and in the box, she actually... um, Years after the letter stopped, and I I can't really say what it right. is because I don't, don't want to give a spoiler. Do a spoiler here, but um, she actually put a note in the box years later, mm. and it was that note. Um, it was a request, and it was that request in that box of letters that just launched this search for who Noah was. And, um, wow. Yeah. It's, it's been an amazing, an amazing journey. Yeah. So once you found the letters, then did you start writing the book right away? I mean, once you had that little like wrestling match with God and decided you were going to do it. (laughs) Then it took me, like I said, you know, a couple of years after that, um, to even be convinced that God was going to want me to write a novel. I mean, you know, because I didn't even read um, read fiction that much. I read um, motivational, inspirational books, but didn't yeah. even really read a lot of fiction. And so it was so foreign to me. I couldn't even imagine. I've I've taught a um, women's Bible study in our community for about seventeen years. So writing devotions or even maybe writing a Bible study, you know, would have made more sense to me than. <laughs> Been writing yeah. fiction, and I was struggling to get 500 words out on the on a piece of paper. And I would talk to friends at these conferences, and I'd say, "Just how many words is a novel anyway?" And they'd say, "Oh, 90,000. And I go, "Oh, I could never do that. No way." Yeah. <laughs> so don't ever say never. <laughs> right. That's a good lesson. Yeah. Um. 
So how did you determine what to fictionalize and what to keep true to life? Well, I had the letters and so they were my springboard. And, um, you know, I am a seat of the pants writer. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't really anything I plotted out. I just would take the letters and I'd start with a letter and I'd just start to write. And it just evolved. And that's been, you know, one of the most amazing and exciting things about this writing journey is these fictional characters just kind of pop in out of nowhere, you know, and they kind of take on a life of their own and they, they lead us places, you know, that we haven't been before. And they actually become very dear to our heart and very much like friends. And so, yeah, yeah it's, um, I, I really didn't, I, I really didn't think about it. I just kind of wrote um, from how I was inspired by the letters. And of course, there were some things in the letters that I certainly wouldn't put in the book. And then there were some things in the letters that I thought, Ooh, that would make a good plot line. And, you know, I would just kind of spring from that. And, um, but, but the, one of the really strong plot lines that is in there involving um, this other, um, other young lady um, that actually becomes the antagonist uh, to Mm -hmm. Emma it was actually uh, a, a true plot line. Oh. And um, then I took, I developed some other things about her that were fictional. Okay. Uh, to keep the, you know, to keep the interest up and, and to keep the, the plot going. But um, yeah, it was, it, it's just been so educational for me. I just... I just can't even still believe that I'm doing it. (laughs) Yeah, that's great. So when you were writing the novel and when you look at it now, do you um, think, like, do you think of your, do you think of Emma, your protagonist as your mother or did she take on a completely different, um, did she become her own character? She became her own character. I really, um, of course, it's always in the back of your mind, but there's so much, it's so fictional. I don't really think of her as my mother. Right. I, I, I sometimes think about what my mother would think, <laughs> you know, it's, oh my gosh, you know, I mean, my mother, she was the reader in the family. She'd read over like a hundred books a year mm-hmm. and she actually wrote some poetry when she was um, younger and had a few things uh, published in small publications. Wow. But um, she was she was a very private individual. And so for me to find these letters and now (laughs) her picture is actually in the front of the book. Of course, I don't give her real name, Mm -hmm. but um, for her, for me to actually have her pictured in the book and have portions of her letters in this book, I'm going, oh, man, I hope. I hope she's happy with me. I'm just not real sure. She may meet me at the gate when I get to heaven and (laughs) have a few choice words for me. I'm not real sure. (laughs) Oh, well, I'm sure she'll forgive you. Yeah, it's a beautiful story, though, and I'm I'm so excited about it. I, 
I, I just really can't believe that I even wrote it. And of, of course, now, you know, when um, Mountain Brook Inc. signed me, um, they signed me for two books. They signed okay, wait, me wait, for, let's go back and okay. tell me, tell me how that came about. How did? Well, through my, through my agent, Kyle Young. Yes. And he actually found Mountain Brook for me. And uh, actually, it had been out there for probably a year, and he wasn't really um, having a lot of success selling it. And then all of a sudden, here comes Mountain Brook in, and she was very excited about the book and said she thought it had a lot of potential and had a a two-book, at least a two-book potential. Right. And so they signed me for a, a series Oh, great. It's called um, Dream Beyond Tomorrow is the series title. Oh, okay. And the sequel is called um, Emma's Quest. Okay. So is it just a two book series, like a duology or are there going to be? We see it as a two book series, but then um, she's also talked to me. You know, I was talking to you about how these characters just you know, pop up out of nowhere. Right. Well, one of the main characters in the first book for the love of Emma is named Tucker. And it's actually the friend of Noah, Emma's, Emma's boyfriend. Mm-hmm. And um, Tucker, he has just won over my heart. And even people who have read the, read the book ahead of time oh. um, have actually fallen in love with Tucker and so um, Mountain Brook is actually talking to me about maybe possibly doing a third book oh, on Tucker and, and, and his love story. So I don't know. I, that's too far down the road for me to think about. I'm only probably like 15,000 words into the sequel now. And I don't know. It's just um, I feel like I have a long way to go before yeah. I can think about a third book. <laughs> Um, so you mentioned this is a time slip, which I some some people like the term split time for that, but I I call it time slip also. That means the the novel has two storylines um, from right. different time periods, and they're kind of intertwined together. So I happen to love this form of novel. Did you know right away that it had to be a time slip that you would have a storyline from each time period? I first started writing it as a historical novel. Okay. And um and when I went to writers conferences, they said, "No, this is your story. Mm. You are Caroline. You know, you know, you are the person who found these letters and you need to include that part." Right. In in the book. And so that's when the two different timelines started going on. And oh, boy, was that hard for me at first. And like Caroline's point of view is first person. And then Noah and Emma's point of view views are third person. Okay. So, yeah, switches back and forth. I mean, it really does. It lends itself to being a uh, time slip. Um, but I can see how well since I've written a time slip myself, I actually, I can see how it's, it's really challenging. Um, and especially as your debut novel, <laughs> I think. Yes. Just, yes. And then to have three different points of view and, um, 
Yeah, you know, I, I was I was still even just trying to learn what a point of view was, you know, and I'd slip out of that point of view and wouldn't even really realize oh. it, you know, and it was like, yeah. oh, man, I had it was such a stiff learning curve for me. And that's really why it took me so long to write it. It was it's like a like a five year process by the time right. I found the letters and actually learned how to write fiction and, mm-hmm. you know, put that all into into progress. But, you know, I could have never done it without writing conferences and without writing, without that network of support around me. There's been so many people along the way who have just, you know, Mm. spilled their guts and offered me everything that they knew. And it's just so refreshing, you know, to have somebody and people alongside you that that's, that's one of them the best parts I think of being an author is the networking and all of the people that you meet, the new friends that you make. And it's it's been, been really great. So do you have um, like a, a local group of friends, writing friends that you meet with who help you, or is it just um, broader geographically? Like I don't have a local group, but I have been a member of word weavers international Mm-hmm. for quite a few years. And um, I have been a part of an online group. And so we Zoom and we meet once a month. Okay. And there's there's six of us in the group. We meet once a month and we submit 1,500 words of our current work. Wow. And we yeah, it's a two-hour meeting. And so we spend time reading each other's work and, and critiquing it. And that has been and amazing support. And then also those, those ladies, those five other ladies that I zoom with every month, we are like family. Mm. And, um, you know, we've, we get together at conferences. It's just like a reunion, you know, and we can finally see each other's faces and get together at conferences. And we, um, I've even had, you know, some of them to stay overnight in my home and, it's um, my horizons have just broadened so much uh, because oh, of the writing journey. It's amazing. Yeah, that's wonderful. Um, so back to the time slip, writing a time slip and kind of the challenges involved with that. What approach did you take? Did you write it? Did you write each timeline separately or each storyline separately? Or did you write it all as it was going to be in the book? <sighs> For the most part, I um, I tried to write it in order. Mm-hmm. Um, I tried to let the story unfold, being mindful of the fact that I had to switch back and forth. Right. You know, and after maybe a few chapters or a couple of one character, I'm thinking, oh, we need to hear from Noah or Emma now, you know. Right. And so I... Um, of course, the majority of the book is historical. There are less contemporary chapters mm-hmm. than the historical chapters because of the letters in the background that I had there. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it yeah, I, it it unfolded. Now, in writing the second one, um, I have more of an idea of where I'm going, mm-hmm. and so there. It's I, I'm not plotting, but there's this loose framework in my mind of where I need to get to. Right. And 
and how many chapters I need to go before I get to that point, you know, as we divide the book up into, into segments and, and realize that, you know, um, it, the action has to change. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm really interested in this because I, I could be mistaken, but I don't think I've heard of other time slips with sequels. Um, how, like, is the second one a time slip also? Yes. And um, it's, there may be less of the contemporary character in it than there even was in the first. Okay. But it, it is a time slip. And um, this, the second one will be almost totally fictional. Okay. Because I really don't have, now, now there is, um, there is a character uh, where I do have a few letters that will be used. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's, it's really going to be almost a hundred percent fictional. Okay. But it still springs from the story. Right. That sprang from those original letters, you know? So. Yeah, that's great. Um, so tell me about your research process for this book. I'm sure other than the original letters, I'm sure you had to do additional research. Can you tell me what that was like? Oh yeah. Yeah. We certainly do. Don't we, you know, (laughs) and, and in doing all, in doing the research, I'm going, Oh man, you know, I can't even imagine trying to write a book without internet access. And so those authors, those, uh, traditional classic authors who n- never had this um, resource. I, now those are authors. <laughs> That's what I call a real author. But because I am continually, um, you know, looking up just even little little things like you know what would a hospital room have been like in 1938? You know, or a whooping cough ward, or you know, right. you just constantly looking up things and even like I said, your characters take you to places you've never been before. And so I start there, you know, I start researching uh, where my, my setting is, my mm-hmm. venues are. And actually, thankfully, um, this all took place in North Carolina and it took place in my, of course, the contemporary character takes place in my hometown. Mm-hmm. Um, Emma, the, uh, it took place in um, Fayetteville, North Carolina, where she met Noah, who was a soldier at neighboring Fort Bragg. And then in the book, Noah actually gets out of the military and returns home to Jonesville. And so that's not far from me either. It's a, less than two hours down the road. So I have, and, and that's adjacent to Elkin. So um, mm-hmm. I've actually been able to go um, to, to Fayetteville. I've actually been able to go to to Elkin, Jonesville area. And what is so amazing about that, when I was on the computer initially, when I first started researching the letters, I was trying to find Noah's obituary and I could not find it. Mm. But I found, um, after searching, searching, this uh, obituary popped up. And it was his sister, and she had just died in 2010. And in that obituary, Noah was listed as the predeceased brother. 
And so this his sister's obituary, of course, had her children, which would have been uh, Noah's niece and nephew, and they were still in North Carolina. So I called the niece and she actually put me in touch with the nephew who had who actually still owned the home where Noah wrote the letters from. Oh my goodness. And so my sister and I went up and showed up on their doorstep <laughs> and um and met them and they I was asking them if they even had a picture of him. I didn't have a picture. I had letters, but I had no pictures, could find no pictures. Mm. And so they didn't think they did. But then um the the nephew's wife, she said, well, let me go out in the shed. And while I was there, she went out in a shed and it didn't take her less than a, 15 minutes, probably. And she came back in with a picture of Noah, a framed picture wow. of Noah. And then he came in with um, Noah's garrison cap from the army. Oh, my goodness. And it was like, oh, man, I was just like, it was just like sensory overload. And yeah, so that's they, amazing. This couple lives, his niece, his nephew, and his wife, mm-hmm. they live right beside the home place where Noah lived and wrote the letters. And they actually still own the home. They rent it out. Wow. Uh, they, so I didn't get to go in it. But I actually got to see the house That's where Noah amazing. wrote the letters from. And um, so we found his, you know, we're able to see his his grave. And um, yeah, so, so it was yeah. a combination of a lot of Internet work, but then actually being able to go uh, to these venues and and see these things. And I can see now as a writer where that is so valuable other than mm-hmm. just seeing something on the internet totally. to actually ha- have the feel and the senses, you know, um, involved in, in that particular Absolutely. area yeah. where it happened. It makes a world of difference in that creative process uh, where you can just insert yourself into the scene and actually see it. You know, there's a little church in Elkin that I use in the story. There is um, in Elkin, there's also a, a little soda shop, which mm-hmm. I found out just closed in January. And I wanted to have a book signing Aww. there, but I actually went to the little soda shop. And then of course in Fayetteville, I went to the rainbow restaurant where my, where my mother worked. And yeah. um, I saw now the original venue where she worked is now not the restaurant it is um an event center it's called the rainbow room and um, mm. it's an event center but the same people that uh family down through the years that owned and operated the rainbow restaurant when she worked there in the 30s they still own the restaurant and it's moved to uh you know a, a bigger thoroughfare there in um in Fayetteville and it's a it's a freestanding building now called the Rainbow Restaurant still called the Rainbow Restaurant wow um so did you use the same names as like your mother's name was really Emma no her name was not Emma I so I I I changed her name but Noah uh I changed his last name but I kept the name Noah 
um, yeah. because it was just so fitting and so beautiful. And so I kept the name Noah. Uh, okay. His picture is also in the back of the book. And there's actually a picture of the Rainbow Restaurant where my mother worked in the back of the book. Wow. I am so excited to get my hands on this book now. <laughs> I'm excited for you too, too. Yeah. I'm excited to get my hands on this book. I'm, I'm sure you are. Of course, um, I have a like a, a not for resale copy, but I don't have a, a real copy. So, Right. The real one yet. So what do you hope readers will take away from this novel? You know, there are a number of life lessons woven all through the book. But I think the biggest thing for me, um, what I learned, was the importance of, and I hope my readers will learn, the importance of being open and honest with people, um, of actually expressing your love to them, uh, telling telling them how you feel, you know, before it's too late. Mm. Um, In the um, opening chapter of my sequel, this Tucker Tucker that I told you about, who yes. um, grew to be such a, a loving character. Um, in the sequel, I'll, I'll, I'll read it to you. It says, he actually says, I learned a long time ago, you can't live with regret. I guess we all ask what if at times, but if onlys, they're deal breakers. Can't live there. Got to learn to let go. Mm. And I think that's one of the most um the strongest lessons in the book. Yeah. And then also too, for me, a takeaway for me was, and, and could be for, for readers, um, if they knew my age, which I'll, I'll go ahead and spill it. I'm 72. <laughs> and my first debut, not my debut novel is going to come out on my 72nd birthday. Yeah. And so, you know, what I've learned through that is, we are just never too old to begin something new and for God to use us. Mm. And um, it's just it's just a whole new world that begins to open up here in my in my winter years. And uh, it's just very exciting. Yeah, that's it's inspiring, really. Um, now, you had another career before you were an artist, right? So can you tell me about your art career a little bit? Yes. Um, You know, I told you that my mother, she was the reader in the family. She was the writer. Nope, not me. I I never even thought about going down that path, but I'm a third generation artist. And my, so it just seemed very natural for me growing up uh, with my father to, to follow in his footsteps. And so I went to art school in Atlanta and majored in commercial graphics, became a visual artist. Mm. And so over the course of my career, um, I um, had had this entrepreneurial spirit and um, I could always see possibilities and was willing to take the risk um, to do the work to make something happen. And and so I started two different businesses over probably about a 25 year career. And the first one was I painted and wholesaled my art prints. And I did that um, nationwide. I had Mm. some sales representatives on the road nationwide that sold them. I did that for about eight years. And then after that, I I closed that. Actually, I shut that down 
when the stock market crashed in 1987. Mm. I just, I kind of shut that all down. And then I started doing limited edition art prints and I did that for a couple of years. And then in, oh, let's see, about 1989, a couple of years later, I started another business where I designed and wholesaled stationery nationally. Wow. And um, so you're quite an entrepreneur. I did that for 13. Yeah, I am. I, I don't know what it is, but there's just something in my spirit. I'm always looking for the next best thing That's to sell, great. I guess. But, but you know, I, I retired and, and I shut that. I really got tired of being on that competitive treadmill. Mm. And so in 2003, I... I shut everything down. I had no aspirations of of having another business, and and you know here I am. I'm selling books. I mean, how did that happen? <laughs> you know, it's like no, 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 no. So yeah, I it's it's been a it's been a real journey. Lots of twists and turns, and and lots of um, lots of connections through my whole life. Uh, uh, selling things, you know, selling stationery nationally, going to national stationery markets and and uh, trade shows and things like that. I've met so many interesting people along the way, and yeah, I'm sure um, it's really been a, a great experience. I've I've had a really good life, and you know, I, I was happy just to retire, but um, but I wouldn't miss this part of the journey for anything. Yeah. This is probably the most exciting of it all. Wow. Um, yeah, this is the best part. <laughs> oh, that's exciting. That's it's cool. God saved like the best part for last. All right, not that yes, it's not that did. you're done, but just this part of your career, you know, the Exactly. Yeah. Um and it's something that I, I would never, you know, have even thought of pursuing. And that's that's just the way God's wor- God works. You know, his dreams are are bigger than our dreams. And, you know, um, Psalms 37, four, you know, comes to my mind that when we delight ourselves in the Lord, you know, he'll give us the desires of our hearts. And so I've, I've really seen that that's what he has done, especially with this writing when I didn't even think that I was skilled enough to, to write that he just began to, to drop his desire in my spirit and began, I began to desire what he desired for me. Right. And, so it's been, it's been wonderful. Oh, that's, yeah, that's beautiful. I love that. I love your story. Um, so you mentioned how originally you felt like writing devotionals was more noble and you didn't understand how fiction could play a part um, kind of in reaching people and changing lives. So now though, how do you, this is a question I ask everyone on who comes on the show. So how do you think learning about history through story helps us approach life in the present? Hmm. We grow so much um, through writing historically because, because of the research and we, we, we grow intellectually, mm-hmm. um, emotionally, spiritually. Um, and when we, when we research these characters and, and we see in their in their time frame, their experiences, the struggles, their successes, their failures, um, you know, hopefully we gain a little greater appreciation and understanding for what we have, you know, our heritage, our resources, our opportunities that they didn't have. Right. And, you know, we we always hear experience is the best teacher. And um 
So, you know, that the, there's that quote that, you know, those who don't remember the past are destined to repeat yeah. it, you know. And so hopefully we're going to build on the successes and, and learn from their mistakes and, and, and not repeat them. And, you know, we can't, we can't change history, but we can change our perception mm. of it and our response to it. And so I think that's, that's the, the really wonderful part about writing historically and um, learning that, that we're vastly different from our characters because of the time frame, but yet we are still very much the same. We have the same type goals and hopes and dreams and visions for our lives. And Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. So, Star, it was great talking with you. Um, how can listeners purchase your book? Right now, um, it is available under For the Love of Emma by Starriers on Amazon. Okay. And wh- how can people follow you online? Do you have social media? I, I know you have a-, a website. Yes, I have a Facebook page. I also have a website under starairs.org. Um, it's okay. called Bringing Life into Focus. Mm. And uh, so, you know, they can subscribe there on my blog and get further updates on on my books and the process um, that I am in with this sequel. Um, hopefully I'll be posting some things there as far as the sequel goes and they can kind of follow me, maybe follow my journey there. Yeah, that'd be great. Okay. Thank you for coming on the show today, Star. Oh, wow, Allison. Thank you so much for having me. It's been an honor. I, I really do appreciate you interviewing me and, and helping me to introduce For the Love of Emma. Oh, you're welcome. I really enjoyed this too. Okay, friends. Well, I am so inspired by Star's story and also just her book sounds amazing. I That's one of the books that I did not even get to begin reading, but I'm interested in reading it. It's going on my TBR my to-be-read list. So um, if you like this podcast, can you please show that by going to whatever platform you listen on and leaving a star rating and review? That would help other people, other fans of historical fiction to find the podcast. As always, make sure you check out the show notes. You can find them at alisontreat.com slash blog. That's A-L-I-S-O-N-T-R-E-A-T dot com slash blog blog. I'm going to leave you today with a quote from Theodore Roosevelt, who said, the more you know about the past, the better prepared you are for the future. That sounds like a really good reason to keep reading historical fiction. <laughs> <laughs>